You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of rotavirus B and foals with Emma Adam, DVM, PhD, DACVIM, and DACVS. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of EquiManagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2023 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Adam is an assistant professor at the University of Kentucky's Gluck Equine Research Center. Her career focuses on the health and well-being of the equine athlete. She has worked in four countries on three continents. Dr. Adam received her veterinary degree from the Royal Veterinary College, University of London, after which she gained equine internal medicine specialty training at Texas A&M University and equine surgery specialty training at the University of Pennsylvania's New Bolton Center. She did her Ph.D. research in regenerative medicine as it relates to articular cartilage using RNA sequencing at the Gluck Center. Her primary role now is in collaborative research. Thank you, Dr. Adam, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about rotavirus B and foals. Kim, well, thank you very much indeed. It's a delight to be able to share this with everybody. And please call me Emma. Well, thank you so much. Emma, can you just walk us through the steps and the timeline from the first cases that you became aware of to being able to identify rotavirus B? Well, absolutely. And obviously, this is a massive team effort. And I think one of the things I like to crow about in Kentucky is that we have a great deal of very interested experts and we're all looking to solve the problems. And so at the beginning of 2021, you know, sort of around the middle of February, end of January, um, I was chatting with people and we were really saying that um, there was a fair bit of of neonatal diarrhea. And of course, we don't really see that much diarrhea in babies that um, are sort of two to four days of old, uh, old, unless they have a reason. And those reasons are typically failure of passive transfer. You know, they may be a, a neonatal encephalopathy or a dummy foal. But these were all pretty normal foals being born on farms. And what we were seeing was that the first few foals were being born absolutely fine, no disease problem at all. And then we would have a succession of foals that were getting this diarrhea, this watery diarrhea at about two to three days of age, and it would be every foal from then on. And so it was very difficult to try and connect the dots because obviously people hunker down for the season and um, people are not really attuned to saying, oh my gosh, I've got a problem. You deal with it, you get on with it. Um, Our farm managers and veterinarians in this area are just amazing. They'll get right on something. And so we weren't seeing any deaths. Um, We then realized that this was something that was happening on multiple farms and um, joined together with the fellow researchers at the Glacacquan Research Center, and we just had uh, brought on uh, Dr. Feng Li and his wife, Dr. Dan Wang, who are just amazing virologists, as well as our wonderful colleagues at the Veterinary Diagnostic Lab. And um, essentially, we, we, uh, we, we sent off some samples and Dr. Lee said, just bring me some samples. And so veterinarians had saved samples. I had some samples. Many people contributed. And we sent those samples off and they got sequenced with a metagenomic sequencing analysis, which looks at all of the DNA and RNA in a sample. It's a huge bio, sort of computational biology project with lots of hardcore bioinformatics. And 12 days later, we had a sequence of a genome that mapped very, very homologously to 
uh, ruminant origin rotavirus B. And of course, what was really important about that at that time is a lot of these foals were coming up positive with Clostridium perfringens type A. They were not responding to copious amounts of antibiotics because we're trying to protect these youngsters from getting um, diseases that can relate to bacteria translocating across the gut and getting uh, joint ill and septic and that kind of thing. Um, so what that actually meant when we identified that virus was that we could take a completely different look at what was going on and how to address it. Today's Diseased Is Your podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their unconditional investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program, the partnership with Equitrace, which delivers secure, streamlined record keeping and instantaneous temperature measurements when coupled with Merck Animal Health Biotherm Microchips. Visit MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com for more information. So then what happened once you identified it? That's not the end of the story. Well, no, but but it was really critical because obviously the minute you mention rotavirus to any horse person, they recognize that it's a it's a huge biosecurity um, issue. And as you know, from our mutual friend, Dr. Roberta Dwyer, who investigated rotavirus back in the late 80s, early 90s, which was absolutely critical to the development of the rotavirus A vaccine that we now have that protects foals from rotavirus A. So we don't really see it in baby, baby foals anymore. In, in mares that are appropriately vaccinated. So what we were seeing um, from there, we could really crank down on the biosecurity. And it's very difficult. Biosecurity is really hard at any place. And this is a very, very contagious organism, um, this virus. And so what people started to do was obviously a lot of protective gear and they started to foal outside and not touch the foals for the first five to seven days once they had done their foal check um, at day one where they're getting all their routine examination, IgG levels, that kind of thing. And in actual fact, many of the farms really report how positive that experience was um, because they were still able to care for the foal and the mare. They would have them in small pens or little paddocks, monitor them very carefully, but not actually put their hands on them. And so a lot of people would put a microchip in at that time so they could hands-free take temperatures. But most importantly, we weren't actually touching them and transmitting the disease because the biosecurity level that is required in a, in a foaling barn is so difficult um, for this kind of a, a disease process. And then we obviously developed a PCR test so that we have that PCR test and we have shared that information and helped labs around the United States and in multiple countries set up that test so that people can um, identify what's going on. And it's been added to a lot of fold diarrhea pathogen panels so that it's um, now something if you don't have a lab that's um, going to test for rotavirus A, the old one, and B, the new one, give us a shout. We can set that lab up because it is imperative that you do get that set up. And that collaboration means we're also keeping tabs on where we're, we're finding this problem. And where are we finding this? Where's, where has rotavirus B been documented since then? 
Well, we've documented it in pretty much any place that's got some concentration of horses. So um, California, New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Florida, and um, I think that, let me think, and Jersey. So, and I have a suspicion of Louisiana and a suspicion of Texas. So one of the issues has been that if we don't get samples quickly enough and if they're not chilled when they are moved um, to the lab and taken to the lab, sometimes that can degrade the, the, the virus or we, we are concerned that we could get a false negative. But nevertheless, we found it in lots of different places. Uh-huh. And what should vets do if they have a young foal with a watery diarrhea? I mean, what's what are the steps they should take? What's your advice? Well, obviously, anytime we have a diarrhea that doesn't, whether it has an explanation or not, it means that we need to employ good biosecurity protocols. So that means barrier nursing, um, appropriate protective equipment, such as double gloving, um, Tyvek suits or, or plastic suits, booties, appropriate disinfection. On the Gluckequan Research um, Center website, we do have some recordings and some material for people to refer to, to so that they can choose the appropriate uh, disinfectant. We know that bleach is not an effective uh, disinfectant in the barn for this type of thing. It's a hard virus to kill. So 30 minute contact time is what's required. So that makes it a very laborious issue. In terms of um, the diagnostics that would be required, we are still fulfilling Cox postulates, but our evidence strongly points to this being a primary pathogen. And what's important to remember about that is when if you're if you're doing appropriate testing to get to find rotavirus B in a diarrheic foal, you may well find that it has Clostridium perfringens type A or another Clostridium perfringens in there. But it's important to remember that Kirsten Tillotson's original work from published in 2002, 90% of normal foals in this huge study that she did, 126 foals, of which they followed 124 out. At three days of age, 90% of those completely normal foals are positive for Clostridium perfringens type A. And that's a huge thing that we need to remember. We only often look for these things when we've got a problem. And her study showed that it was there. So diagnosing the problem quickly is really important. If you can get that sample before you have administered some adsorbents, that's also useful because research in soil suggests that many of the clay products that we use may have an influence on the efficacy of the PCR reaction. So if you can get that sample before the clay has been um, give, administered, that's very, very useful. And I think one of the things we're really guilty of, uh, and I'm obviously guilty as charged in, in my previous life, is that um, we often take a look at the foal and we treat before we test. We need to do those things simultaneously. Biting the bullet and paying for those tests is the only way we can really move our science forward and the only way we can develop enough material and evidence to show impact so that we can um, draw grant money and funds together to get the tools we need like vaccines and high premium plasma and those kinds of things. And speaking of that, I mean, is you, you kind of walk through the prevention, the biosecurity is the best prevention. But, I mean, we do have a type A vaccine. Do you think we're going to move toward this? And does the type A offer any protection? The type A offers 
to our knowledge, no protection whatsoever, because all of the mares in our studies have been um, appropriately vaccinated with the rotavirus current type A vaccine um, for multiple years. So we have no evidence that there is a cross protectivity. And in, the, in vitro, we're also now backing that up. The current rotavirus vaccine was rather um, hastily produced, but it's been an amazing tool for us. You know, since the early 90s, rotavirus outbreaks in neonates has been a thing of the past where people have appropriately used that fantastic vaccine. It has a conditional license, and that means it cannot be updated without an enormous amount of money. And it's only about 54,000 doses per year that are sold. And so you can imagine there is unfortunately from that big pharma perspective no real need to go in and spend millions of dollars so we are in a situation kim where it is we need to heal thyself and what that means is that our industry came to the rescue when we were trying to work on this problem for example we were able to free up money from the kentucky thoroughbred association thoroughbred owners and breeders we got a small gift from grayson and a gift from coolmore america to work on this problem back in 2021. And they opened their pocketbook um, and augmented our emergency response funds so that we could get this work done. So we're, we're really grateful to that. And it speaks to our industry that they are prepared to help themselves. So what we are trying to do now is we are in the process of developing vaccines. And we have three vaccines that are currently being developed, Dr. Lee, and Dr. Wang are moving very fast on this. We're very fortunate to have them as a team taking leadership on this. And so we've got three different nanoparticle vaccines um, platforms that are relatively well-worn uh, in terms of they're nothing too crazy new that we think is going to delay the ability to get them safely out there for use. We're hoping to do safety studies um, this summer and hopefully test them in pregnant mares on our research herd after those safety studies, hopefully this winter, with the idea that we, we may well have um, a vaccine that we can roll out. Now, that vaccine is probably not necessarily going to be picked up by a big pharmaceutical company. And so we will eventually, hopefully, be able to produce a vaccine that has both strains of the rotavirus A that we see and rotavirus B as a combination. And, and we will also then, with our global collaborators, keep track of the different things that we're seeing with the idea that our metagenomic sequencing analysis pipeline means that we will be able to identify little new things that are out there that necessarily aren't on our list. And that's really important. So this is going to be a novel way forward to create what is essentially going to be a boutique vaccine because we are a boutique market. That's true. And is there anything else uh, that, that you would like to tell veterinarians about rotavirus B and the work that you guys are doing? So we are obviously trying to raise money to get this, um, this vaccine research over the wire. And we've been very helpful. Our university is matched and our industry have come forth with some money, but we're trying to move that forward. I would actually, and I don't know whether I'm going to regret this, but if somebody has a rotavirus B positive case, I actually would love to hear from them because the ability for us to track this problem gives us l leverage to get grants and funding to move the needle on this kind of research because it's lain dormant for 30 years. We haven't done anything with this area. And as such, we skipped the molecular revolution 
And we've actually had to create really basic molecular tools, which has sort of delayed our progress. Although now we've got them, we're really rocking and rolling. Oh, that's that's good to hear. So for our listeners, what I'll do is I always write a short article about each podcast on equimanagement.com. And if you want to go to that article, I will make sure and include Dr. Adams' contact information, as well as the link to what she uh, discussed earlier for the disinfectant, excuse me, disinfectants that is on the Gluck Center site. So that way I'll give you a quick way to to get to both of those areas. Is there anything else, Emma? No, I think it's really a matter of being vigilant and introducing the concepts of biosecurity just incrementally and slowly to each and every farm that you visit, because then coming in with amping them up when you've got problems, obviously preventing problems is more important, but that's always hard to do. But just introduce those conversations because you as a veterinarian are the very best person to create um, that tailor-made Um, biosecurity protocol for each farm because one size definitely does not fit all. Um, But just starting that conversation gently means that they may start using some foot dips and some booties or specialized boots for their area and obviously gloves and gowns. And you can just introduce it more carefully so that then the shock factor is not quite so horrific. Well, that is some great advice. And thank you, Dr. Adam, for joining me on this episode of Disease Du Jour. And we want to thank our sponsor, Merck Animal Health, for allowing us to have these conversations. And we invite you to listen and rate past episodes of Disease Du Jour on your favorite podcast platform. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is part of the Horse Radio Network, the leading podcast network for horse lovers worldwide, and a division of Equine Network, LLC.